for the 30th anniversary, their goal is to send out 11 million boxes. Um, so if you would like to be a part of that in any way, whether it's prayer, financial support, uh, giving items for inside the shoeboxes, packing shoeboxes, helping collect shoeboxes during collection week, uh, please sign up at the desk. Uh, Joan uh, Niedermeyer heads that up for us. She is sick today, so she couldn't be here. Um, but if you need any information about that, you can uh, contact the church office, talk to me uh, or one of the other pastors. Uh, we have a short uh, video about Operation Christmas Child, and then Pastor Cody's going to share the word with us this When that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled, and we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes, thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. The table is set out there in the lobby, so if you want to check that out as we begin getting ready for that, I'm excited. Briefly, if you could take your Bibles and go to Psalm 122. Once in a while before I get to church on Sunday mornings, I'll check the news. Because sometimes it's good to check the news and be like, hey, is there anything going on that we should maybe pray about? Has anybody heard what happened in Israel? Anyone? Okay, there's a few of you. So some militants have attacked different regions in Israel. I don't know if it's Gaza Strip or what's going on. One report said it was Israel's 9-11. The reports are right now that hundreds have been killed. So I want to take a moment here and pray. <clears throat> First, we'll read this passage. This is a famous passage. I believe it's verse 8. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Israel. So we're going to do that this morning, okay? Let me just read this here. I'm going to be reading out of the NLT translation. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now we are here, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek what is best for you, O 
Jerusalem. So if you would join me in prayer as we pray for this tragic moment in their history. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that you are a God of grace and mercy and love and compassion. And we know that there are always going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be violence. And we come before you right now and we ask that you would touch those who have been hurt, families who have been devastated right now in Israel. We pray that they would be able to find true safety. And as the world gets involved in this, we pray that justice will happen. You are a God of justice. And ultimately we pray, Lord, that there would be true peace in Jerusalem. And we believe, because we are taught in Scripture, that Jesus, you are our peace. And there can be no peace without Jesus. So we ask, Lord, that this would bring people to know the Messiah. Lord, may this be an opportunity for missionaries, for those who are with Jews for Jesus. We pray that this would be a time that they would have open doors to proclaim the true, full message of the Messiah. Spirit of God, we ask that you would remove that veil that blinds many of their eyes. May this tragic event cause them, as I know that they are praying, to see the full fulfillment of what peace, what true shalom is. So Lord, we come in prayers as we lift them up for safety and justice, but ultimately we ask, may they have true peace found in you. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah. This we pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 4. We are finishing up our series here in Philippians, looking at what it means living for Christ. And as I mentioned last week, I was very close to calling this sermon, the title of it, What Smells Good to God or something like that, I've got what pleasing to God now. And lining up with, lately I've been giving you some of my top 10 things I enjoy or like, and I've got a little list if you haven't gotten that, and those are not in order of first importance. But let me give you, and I, I was working on it this week, I realized this is seasonal. My top 10 things I love to smell. So raise your hand if you like these things also, right? I'm old school, I like pencils, I, I even got a couple special pencil sharpeners. I love a freshly sharpened pencil, but anyone else? You are my friends. There's only a few of you, man. I love the smell of fresh split oak. Anybody else? That, oh, I'll sniff those all day. I'm a sniffer. Diesel fuel, that's a weird one, anyone? Come on, man, no one's raising their hand. I'm just an oddball here, all right. This one will get a lot of you, hopefully, to raise your hand. Babies, not have your changing diapers, 
But you know, how many of you parents with your newborn, you're like, oh, you smell so good. Come on, a few of you, all right. Look at more hands, finally, all right. Apple pie, fresh. Oh, there's some, look at even sounds. Today marks the six-month anniversary of our fallen officers. And yesterday, Hunter's girlfriend made an apple pie and gave most of it to me. And last night, I was like, it smells so good. Fall leaves walking through the woods, right? All oh, this week, I was with Al. We were walking through the woods. I was like, is there a way I can just keep breathing and get like a tube that goes out my lungs so it just keeps going? My lungs never fill and I can just keep breathing. Oh, things I love to smell. Gun oil. Three of you. Okay, all right, all right. Cleaning the gun, that oil, I just love the smell. All right. A new Bible. I love smelling. Kids, go out there. Go to a bookstore, you know, go to the Christian bookstore and sniff new Bibles. They smell good. I'm a Bible sniffer. All right, just two more. A nice steak on a charcoal grill. Anyone? Okay, yeah, there are lower voices on that one. All right. Last one here. The Alpine Mountain Range. There's something about the Alpine Mountains. Okay, we should do a trip out to where I lived out in the Seattle area. I was a peak beggar and just all this. There's something about the Alpine smell. It's interesting in Scripture, there's a few things that are very fragrant to God. There are things that just smell good to Him. And we're going to learn about that this morning. Last week we learned what it takes when we are in need to look at God the supplier. My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches found in Christ Jesus. He's got it. He's going to take care of us. Whatever troubles you have, turn to the Lord. So last week we looked at the God the supplier. And today, this week, we're going to look at the supplies and the giving which are pleasing, or smell good, they're pleasing to God. And the foundation of these verses, again, we're going to go through 10 through 20. Again, this time just, we're just going to look at a couple phrases found within here. And then the foundation, what I really believe the foundation of this whole section is verse 19 and verse 20. So we'll kind of land on that again. So let's pray before we get into Scripture. Join me. Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. And I thank you that you've given many things that we smell, that, that please us. Many of the things I mentioned were things I eat or things I, I enjoy doing. And Lord, help us learn to set ourselves aside and not be self-seeking, but God-pleasing. Help us not be man-pleasers, but God-pleasers. So teach us this morning, I pray. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to do 9, 10, 14, and we're going to remember, we're just going to skip some of the stuff we did last week. We'll cover the verses we didn't cover last week. So, I rejoice in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed... You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And part of verse 11, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. 
Verse 14, yet it was good for me to share my troubles more, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance, the gospel, when I set forth from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, only you, for one, I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts, would desire more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, to, the, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I want to look at the phrase, your concern for me. It was good for you to share with me. Again, he is very grateful for the fellowship that he has with them, not only in their friendship, but also in the troubles, also in the concern, this partnership that he has with them with the gospel. He was there helping the church start. He's visited them. He's about this fellowship. We've talked about this Christian fellowship before, this koinia, this partnership and fellowship, this spiritual participation with one another. It's very important that we know this within Scripture. In fact, He talks about this. He started with the fellowship of the gospel. Verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, we are partners, we have this fellowship of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, he says, the fellowship of the Spirit. Not only do we have this connection of the gospel message, but we, as Christians, we have this fellowship of the Spirit. We belong to each other. And then chapter 3, verse 10, we also, this is unique, We also have this fellowship, this spiritual participation with the sufferings in the sufferings of Christ. And here, in a general way, in this whole section, he's talking about this partnership in ministry. One of my former professors says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision of what is most important. So what is it that we are about? And we have true fellowship with each other. So we as a church, and we'll talk more about this Maranatha Pacific here in a moment, but we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this fellowship. And our main goal is Jesus Christ. So I love it. As you know, every Wednesday, although some Wednesdays I'm busy doing something, uh, this Wednesday I'll be in Madison, so I won't be able to be there, but every Wednesday I meet with four pastors, and we pray together. Now, one's a Baptist guy, which he, I call him my theological comrade. We just uh, often will be at larger events, maybe an ecumenical event with, with all types of churches there that maybe we don't align with, and we'll look at each other and go, mm, that, that's why we're buddies, <laughs> But we have a partnership. We pray with Alan, the Assemblies of God. He's one of my dear brothers. 
I pray with Todd from Red Cedar. I always say, you're the mascot of the area here of pastors. We have a fellowship that we share with Christians. And I love praying with my pastor friends. We, Maranatha, when we gather together, we have a true fellowship. And that's why one of the reasons we had just one service for a while there, especially during the summertime, is so we could be together and you could be like, oh, I didn't know you came to church here. Because sometimes it feels like we have two different bodies, two different churches going on, second service, first service. We have this unity, true fellowship, this partnership, this spiritual participation. And we can experience that today. But we don't have to go to two extremes. One extreme would be, guess what? We're going to now build a big commune here on the property. We've got some land back there. And we're going to go now have this big communal housing development of fellowship every day and do it. If God calls people to do that, that's great. In fact, when I was in college and grad school, I would go down, we were in the northern suburb of Chicago, we would go down to the northern part of Chicago on Division Street, and right there was Jesus People USA from the 60s, Res Band. Anybody ever hear of them? Okay, a few of you, all right, a few of you. They have, the, they call them the Friendly Towers. They all live together, and they, I believe, I don't know if it still does it this way, but in the early 70s into the 80s, what they would do is they would all work and the paychecks would go all into one big account and they would divide it e- equally and they would share everything. If that's what God calls you to do, awesome. But we don't have to go to that, and I'm, I'm not going to say extreme as in bad extreme, but we don't have to do that. Or, here's the other extreme. This isn't a bad extreme, But this is another extreme. Some people think fellowship, Christian fellowship, is just sitting around the tables over there and eating a donut, having some coffee, and that's it, and then you go home. Your 20-minute little hangout with your friends at the table, that is Christian fellowship, but it's more than that. We need more than that. It is modeling the love of Jesus that he's extended to us Every day, every moment, more than just your brief moment at the table, get your donut, hopefully your favorite kind of donut isn't taken, and leaving, or just living together nonstop, those are kind of extremes. We can live in and serve each other with our fellowship, with our spiritual partnership as a form of love in service. So part of our Christian fellowship is, you're my brother, you're my sister. Remember that old song? We have that, but also it's sharing in our service with one another. Love expressed. So love and service, I put love expressed or tangible love in these ways. So I have a few of them. Went through Scripture, went through the New Testament, and looked at all the passages said, the togetherness, this koinonia, this one anotherness. The first one is spiritual gifts. We have the privilege in this fellowship to serve one another with your spiritual gifts as we are the body of Christ. I would encourage you, read Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. They talk a lot about, guess what? We all have different spiritual gifts. Same spirit that gives it, these gifts out, 
We should be praying for these gifts, using these gifts, not complaining what gift you have, but building them up for one another. Or as 1 Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So I'd encourage you this. We had the ministry fair a couple weeks ago. And it's great. I love it. I wish we could do something more as in, and I'm not requiring this, but I wish everyone at this church had a sheet that would go on and go, here's the area God's calling me to serve. You may have a special gift and whatever, great, but maybe God says, you know what? And I've learned this from one of my mentors. Many of your callings may not be what you want to do. Ugh. I wish everyone in this room, if you call Maranatha your home, if you're a regular attender, if you're a member, use your gifts to serve the church. We have that. Hospitality. Serving food. Caring. And I'm, I'm going to use that as an example. We have a hospitality team. We have many people who serve food. Many people who care for people when there's funerals, when there's weddings, when there's things coming up. This Thanksgiving, we do care boxes. If you want to be a part of donating money to that or assembling the care boxes as we give Thanksgiving boxes to people, give us a call. Another spiritual gift is encouragement. We can encourage and support one another. That's when I pray a lot of people in church get. For some reason, some people think there's a spiritual gift of complaining and grumpiness. That's not a spiritual gift. It used to be that we have yellow sheets still. and that Half the yellow sheets were filled up with complaints and grumbling. And I'm like, man, that's not a spiritual gift. So for years I prayed, Lord, give us more encouragers of the right things. That's using your spiritual gifts. Another one is this togetherness. We can gather together. I would encourage you, get plugged in with a small group. Contact Pastor Aaron and say, hey, here's who I am. Here's the family situation I'm in. Maybe you got littles or whatever. Maybe you're retired. Maybe, you know, whatever your situation is, we'll find some place for you to plug into a small group, a Bible study. Get connected. A Bible study, small group, meet for meals, meet at your home, gather people together, and in that, hold each other accountable to the truths we are being taught in Scripture. You belong to something greater than you are. I remember when I was 13 years old, my parents got divorced. As a kid, they never were even close together. And I knew there were troubles, but when the divorce came, that was really hard on me as a 13-year-older. And I'll never forget the day that I was on my bed crying, as my mom says, we're getting a divorce. My, all my dad did is he came in, put his hand on my back, said, I'm sorry, and left. He lived in the town next to us. I saw him frequently, or maybe not as frequently as I wanted to. But right away, my mom did this. The next week, she literally did this. She goes, Cody... You're unique. I'm like, yeah. I sniff a lot of things. I don't know. She said, Cody, you're different. She said it in a positive way. Even since I was a little 
little, little kid, she always said, God has something special for you. My mom's great. She said, Cody, you're, you're unique. And I need you to get plugged in through this stuff that we're going through as a family. You need to go to a church that's got the largest youth group in town. And I'm like, okay, because we went to the Baptist church. And it was a very, very small Baptist church. We had like three kids in the youth group. So then she said, the church down the road is the biggest church in town. I'm sending you there. I'm like, okay, mom. Why? Because she knew that I needed to know I belong to something greater than my circumstances, right? I belong to this Christian family. You belong to something greater than your heartbreak, greater than maybe the troubles in your biological family. You belong to the family of Christ. So my mom and her was like, you're going there. I was like, awesome. Now, theologically, it was weird because I'm a Baptist boy and then I went to the Assemblies of God church. And whoa, that kind of made my mind go, whoa, what's going on here? In fact, my nickname was the Bapticostal. Because I knew Bible verses. I knew 300 and some Bible verses. They didn't memorize any Bible verses. They're like, so you're like Baptist on the inside, but you're kind of like Pentecost on the outside. You're just, you're crazy and everything. And just winning people to the Lord. I'm like, they just called me the Bapticostal. I don't know, I didn't. I realized I belonged to something greater. So look at me. If you're a Christian... You have this Christian fellowship that you belong to. You belong to this body, but also the churches around here that believe in Jesus Christ alone as the Savior. We belong to a fellowship. The next one. This koinonia, this living it out. As I mentioned in what I said, you know, we live out this love and acts of service. So acts of service. We can serve one another whether that's washing each other's feet, watching each other's children, providing a meal for when someone's sick, when someone goes to the hospital. Maybe you feel like, you know, I, I could do something. Here's what I, I need some help in. Vacations. Often I'm busy out visit, visiting people. I'm like, I, I could be doing that 40 hours a week. So much for my sermon time. We need people visiting those who can't get to church sometimes. I know a couple families right now that they supply their house heat only with wood. And they need help cutting and chopping up some wood. How many of you got chainsaws? There you know, I'm not making you just agree to help. But yeah, we got chainsaws. There's so many ways we can help and serve one another. Get plugged in. Give me a call. And then, there's a couple other things I, I wrote down, but just for sake of time, I'm going to end with this one. This leads into the concept of what Paul is saying here. Sharing our abundance. We can share in our abundance with each other and with the church through our resources. That's our financial resources, our tithes and offerings so that God's good work may be done in the world. It's not just sharing food, which is an important part. Sharing food is very important. But also, as Paul's going to get to here, it's the sharing of your resources so you can continue the work of God in the world. Koinonia applies 
also to the sharing of financial gifts and material resources. As Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, in Corinth, he spends much time, mainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about it a lot, and we'll get to that in a moment here, he applies this aspect of this is a spiritual act of worship that you're doing because all that you have belongs to God. Their financial generosity not only helps the community with physical needs, but also serves as evidence that helps draw people to the good news of Jesus. When you give to our church, it helps warm this place up, whereas whereas last week we had the air conditioning on. That's Wisconsin. His joy, Paul, is not that the gift in itself is like, thanks for your money, which he's doing, but his joy is not in the gift itself, but in the loving care that led them to give. Notice how he says it. I'm so grateful for your concern. Other places haven't given, but you guys, we have this fellowship. And the gift was a wonderful blessing to Paul and showed the deep affection that they had for him. But he was also very aware that no matter what, God will supply all that you need. And it's all for his glory. Let's look at the phrase now, sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul then expands this, kind of thinking of an earlier time that he was in Corinth, where he took the gospel to Thessalonica and founding the church, and we find this in Acts 17. So he's looking back at that time, which we'll cover when we get to Acts 17. And this is, again, I mentioned this last week, this is, this is to me is very remarkable. He's thanking the church that doesn't have much money as how much you give. Years ago, I feel like it was eons ago, when our first two daughters were, well, so Kim was already born, Autumn was born here, and Nicole was born here. We worked at Arrowhead Bible Camp. And we raised missionary support to be paid to be there. We would write letters and just send out stuff, and, and it was hard. I didn't like doing it. And there were times when the mailbox wasn't full. But God always supplied. Taught me a lot about faith. And we raised support. And here's what blew me away. Some of the poorest material financially resource-wise, some of them gave the most. I couldn't believe it. And that's the same thing happening here. He was very aware of the reality that they didn't have much Their generosity was absolutely proven by how much they gave because unlike other churches in the Macedonian area, they were poor due to their circumstances and persecution. And Paul often shared his needs with them. So let me talk about giving here as they were giving. Christian fellowship can be seen in Christian stewardship. Christian giving. So we belong to this Christian faith. We belong to one another. And part of that fellowship is seen in Christian giving. As I was working on my sermon, normally I have three or four pages up here. I was at nine pages by Thursday. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. No, really, you guys are in trouble. Because I started diving into 2 Corinthians 
chapter 8. And there's so much he talks about giving. So what I've done is I've boiled all that down to a couple key concepts about giving. Now, if you're a visitor here, you might be going, oh, here we are. Another church that talks about give me money. I'm not doing that. In fact, I rarely talk about giving. Because, let me give you two reasons why. You guys give so much, we are floored by that. I am thankful, thankful for a church where I don't have to go, we can't pay the bills. You guys are so faithful. And secondly, I'm a George Mueller fan. Anybody here of George Mueller? Look him up. I just keep praying and praying he'll provide. So here, let's talk about giving. Giving, this is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In fact, maybe go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't have all the verses because, again, this would have been a three-hour sermon. Giving is to be considered an honor and an act of worship. Worship isn't just song. Our worship is about object, not subject. The object of our worship is God. And our lives then are to be pleasing to God as a fragrant offering. And our worship can be in fellowship, in the study of His Word, in service, and also in financial giving. Giving is to be voluntary, not force or pressure. I'm embarrassed by some of Christianity out there today in fact, just this past month, I read briefly a report about one of the TV evangelists got another new jet. For real! That's an embarrassment to Christianity, an embarrassment to the name of Christ. He was telling his people, pleading, I need another jet. I talk a lot about pizza parties. I don't need another pizza party. But I do like pizza parties. Giving is to be voluntary. The Lord should be leading and pressing on your heart, not me arm wrestling you like, you better give. And churches do that. It's not forced or pressured. Giving should always be cheerful and joyful when it's done. In fact, my first year here, I mentioned a phrase like this, and someone yelled at me about it and i'm like sorry dude it's kind of scripture but i would rather have two only two cheerful givers than a hundred grumpy bitter givers if you're grumpy and bitter don't give i want it from the heart and how does it come from the heart you look at the beauty of christ and see what he's done for you all that he's done to save you how could you not worship him in this way if you want to yell at me later go ahead i would rather have you be cheerful and joyful if you're grumpy and bitter that's not pleasing to god all right giving is not to be impulsive but divine by thoughtful prayer don't just be like oh that sounds good i feel bad for uh, the sometimes the elderly get picked on by people calling and, and saying give to this organization and this organization in fact 
Um, just a couple months ago, I was dealing with an officer who was dealing with, a, with an elderly person who would get, was giving all their money away because people were using them. Be prayerful. Figure out the gifts that you have, your resources, not just financial stuff, but also your time. The, the big phrase is your time, your talent, and your treasure. This is what I have, Lord. How can I use it for you? Again, another one here. Giving should take into consideration the wise principles to the receiving of those who get it. Don't just give to any nonprofit organization. And we take that very seriously here at church. When you give to our church, we don't just go, here's a budget. We're just going to do what we want. We have a financial team. We as pastors and elders, we take very serious the finances that you give, and we want to use it to better our mission here at the church. We take very serious. We have checks and balances. We have people, people far smarter than me in these areas. We approve those who are entrusted with our finances in the matters at the church. And we allow you to see that. As members of the church, you're the ones who vote on the budget. I'm very grateful for those who put together the budget and think through that. We are very grateful for those who volunteer their time in this area. Next, giving comes from a heart set free from sin and selfishness. Giving should never be done for selfish gain. Remember when I was out in the church in the Seattle area, one guy said, you know what? Financially, we're not doing too well here at the church, so I'm gonna, right, right before your sermon, I'm going to go up and give a big fat check and let everyone know. And I said, no, you're not. He never gave the big fat check, which I'm glad. It should be, yeah, giving should never be done with selfish gain. Hey, pastor, I'm going to give you this big pizza party so then you can help me in this area. No. It should be done with the expectation that God will supply all our needs, right? So don't do it out of selfishness. Giving, again, this could be a three-hour sermon here, giving is always and is the fruit of the ultimate work of God's grace. And that leads even to our passage. Because God has done such grace in our lives, we then are recipients of his grace and we give it. The source and the pattern of giving is God's grace. God has graciously stirred within your heart a concern to care for the poor, to care for our building maintenance, to care for our children. And it's his grace. I don't know if the speaker system is still working in the nursery. Maybe right now, I hope it's not. Because right now, we've got our secretary, Carmen, holding little kids in there. She is a model of someone who knows God's grace and is willing to be used in any way. Today, I'm going to hold children, and that's how I'll worship you. God has graciously stirred in our hearts a concern for others and supplied you with the ability to give something so do it out of God's grace. In this way, God gets all the glory, not you. The financial support from Philippi 
thus is pictured as a means of spreading the life-saving commodity. Not money, not food, but the life-saving commodity is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's why we pray for Israel. We pray that they would know true peace found in Jesus. Not often said, like I say, I don't preach about giving often. Not often said, but we encourage you to financially support our church as supporting our vision and mission. Again, the whole point of this fellowship, this koinonia, is we have a same common focus, which is Jesus Christ. And our mission here in church, and our purpose and vision, is reaching people, little, little babies to the old, old ones, reaching people with joy of the gospel in Christ and encouraging his followers in their devotion to him. That's what we're about. So if you want to be about that, we ask you to join us in that mission. Do you use your material resources to benefit the gospel in that way? Do you meet the needs of others? And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. All right, the next part. A fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. Paul now switches from the financial imagery to sacrificial imagery. Now he goes to the sacrifice aspect. It's a great help. All this, he's, he said many gifts. So we don't know if it was like sending bags of Doritos to him because he's hungry in prison and financial gifts, whatever it is, we don't know. But more importantly, now he realizes ultimately it's pleasing to God. This is both a sign of their friendship that Paul had with them and this sacred sacrifice that they're giving, which is part of their resources. The horizontal, earthly deed has become now the vertical, heavenly-centered worship event. In their giving, it becomes a worship time. And three phrases demonstrate its significance. It's a fragrant offering. It smells good to God. In fact, when I was a kid, it was the King James, King James said, sweet-smelling. It's depicted as an acceptable offering. In fact, in the Old Testament, offerings sometimes came with incense. It was this sweet, good smelling to let the people know. The incense wasn't there to put some magical twist to it. It helped them remember, go, oh, this is good. This is good to God. Leviticus chapter 1, chapter 13. The sacrifice was given as an offering. And I love how in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 5, Christ's sacrifice was a fragrant sacrifice. Paul uses this show that their gift is more than financial. It was a sacred event that brought fragrant pleasure to the Lord. Another aspect, the second one is it's an acceptable sacrifice. It's acceptable. Their faith gift trusting the Lord because they're giving and then they're going to be less something, it was acceptable. Not just a monetary transaction. Here you go, here's some money, here's a receipt for the tax write-off, it's good enough for me. This is especially true since they were poor. 
It was a real sacrifice and a genuine gift that they sent. And lastly, it was pleasing to God. Ultimately, God is more pleased than Paul was. When you give with the right heart, when you give when God calls you, God is the one who is pleased. And this is wonderful. The idea of pleasing God is the core, really, of New Testament ethics. We must present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, fighting against sin, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The sacrifice was good, pleasing, and perfect. Let's look at verse 19 and 20 in closing here. And again, sorry, I keep messing this verse up because I have it memorized in the King James as a little boy, and then NIV, uh, I just... uh, So I'm just going to read it so I don't say it a couple different ways. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. God uses you to bless others with the resources you have. Through the friends that Paul has in Philippi, God has supplied him with the financial gifts. And here's what's unique. Paul's saying, guess what? You gave, but don't forget that, guess what? You will be cared for in the greatest way by God. Not the tax benefits you get for giving, not by all the stuff that your boss maybe saw that, oh, you're helping out, so we'll give you a bonus. In your giving, the God who has all things, the only God, will supply your needs. And sometimes, though, we confuse wants and needs, don't we? We need something, and a need is something that has required us to survive. I don't need pizzas to survive, but they sure are good. A need is something we need to survive. A want is something we can live without but still desire. He doesn't say he's going to supply all your wants. And a lot of the, how do I politely say this? A lot of the, embarrassing christianity that's in america today is all about the wants we want a bigger church bigger lights bigger this i want a new jet how embarrassing it's the needs that god supplies before i get to verse 20 i just want to quickly quickly say this sometimes it's hard to share needs i found that about myself i can get things done but sometimes it's hard to share our needs. In fact, in the last six months, I realized, man, I've got a lot of needs in my heart. And I'm so grateful that I've got someone to turn to. In fact, just, just recently, um, someone mentioned, they're, they're talking about some of the stuff I do, and they're like, man, you must have like tons of therapists on your phone. And I just said, well, I'm a pastor. I know the one true person that can help, Amen. I'm excited, as I mentioned last week, we're going to do just talk about my Lord, my God, coming up the first week of November. I'll share more about that there. Sometimes it's hard to share our needs. Two things quickly. I encourage you to let others know your needs. Let them know, hey, here's an area that I'm, 
I'm struggling in this area, you know, and would you pray for me in this area? Not like, I need a new Trans Am because Trans Ams are cooler than Camaros or whatever, you know, no, 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 no. What are your needs? And let's pray about those things. Because God will supply, right? We don't turn to like, okay, hey, I'm going to you know, kind of figure out like, hey, I see you got this, so help me out with it. No, 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 no. Let's pray about it. So share your needs with Christian brothers and sisters and gather together and pray about that. Number two, I wasn't going to do this, but I thought, no, I'd make a big list. of These are all the needs we have at the church. You know about some of the needs. We've been talking about them. Use your calling and gifts to help out our church. Financially, we're doing fine, but we're a little tight. In fact, even this week, I was looking at some of the receipts. I'm like, okay, how can we not spend too much? Because we're getting kind of tight here. We encourage you, if God lays on your heart, to continue to be a part of our church, our mission, and what we're about, sharing the good news of Jesus. We have needs helping children, needs in the nursery, needs at Awana. There's a lot of needs. We should do another ministry fair. Let others know your needs and get plugged into the needs that we have at our church. In closing, today I didn't put my watch on, so am I doing fine with time? Good, okay. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the number one purpose of my life. To bring fame to his name, to bring glory to him, so Jesus gets it all. And that's what Paul was doing. Thanks for your gifts. This is awesome. I'm able to do this. I've got plenty. I'm amply supplied. But in the end, to God be the glory. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. Here Paul lays out his heart open and reveals his ultimate motive. What's my ultimate motive? God be glorified. Christ be glorified. Whatever you do, the ultimate motive is to glorify Christ. In fact, today I'm going to finish up some of that apple pie. And I can give glory to God. Because he could have given me two senses in my mouth, just one for salt and one for acid. But he's given me thousands of taste buds to say, thank you, Lord, for the autumn season. Glory to you. And thank you for the friendships with Cameron and I that she made this pie for me. Thank you. All glory to you. In fact, for Paul, it doesn't matter if he lives or dies. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. At the end of this passage here, verse 20 summarizes our main heart. So let me close. The worship team's going to come up. Let me say this, because you might be going, okay, I'm a visitor here, great. I get, where's, the offering's there, we don't hand around plates anymore, or whatever, the offering's in the back there. On behalf of the leadership of our church, we thank you, members and those who call Maranatha your home, for the financial giving and involvement in our church. Like I said, I don't preach often about giving, like, you better give, I don't, that's not my style. But thank you. We thank you that we are a healthy church, we're working through wanting to glorify God more and more in a variety of ways. I thank all of you that, that give financially, that give with your resources, that bring your vehicles here on cleaning day, that help with all the stuff. You care for kids. You hold little babies. I encourage you. Ask God, where can I get plugged in more and more? Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for this day. And I thank you for the fragrant sacrifice of Christ that we get. We, we see that. And I thank you that you use Paul to pen those words inspired by the Spirit of God to even use that same word of fragrant with our giving. Help us be cheerful. Help us to be prayerful in giving. Help us to look for the needs of others and say, oh, that, that person has, how can you use me, Lord? Well, what's a way I can be a hidden servant? So you get all the glory. So Lord, we thank you. And again, I thank you for this church who bends over backwards to care financially, physically, and prayerfully for our church. We do this for your glory in Jesus' name. Stand and join us in our last two songs. Amen. Stand and join us in our last two songs. Stand and join us in our last two songs.
Stand and join us in our last two songs. and join us in our last two songs.